Hi, and welcome to the Anti-Diet Club podcast, a show for those who are looking to heal the relationship with food and their body. I'm Gillian McCollum, one of your hosts. And I'm Tamsin Broster. We're both anti-diet coaches on a mission to disrupt diet culture. And before we get into this week's episode, we both wanted to share the programs that we have open for enrollment right now. Gillian, did you want to talk a little bit about yours first? Yeah, I'm excited to welcome in the next group of participants to, I think, what will be maybe the seventh or eighth cohort of Food and Body Freedom. It's an eight-week group coaching program. It starts on the 8th of March, and it never ceases to amaze me how much the needle can be shifted within these eight weeks from folks in the beginning feeling very fearful and apprehensive and entirely consumed by thoughts of um, their food and how they feel negatively in their body. And by the end, just feeling so much more trusting, so much more confident. And there's just an ease and a relaxation around it all. So I'm excited. I think it's a great time of year to um, really start to move the needle on this stuff. Um, How about you, Tamsin? What do you have on the go? I have a new body image breakthrough group coaching course. It's three weeks long um, and it's for anyone who wants to stop comparing themselves, make peace with their inner critic and develop a relationship with their body that has nothing to do with how they look or their weight or their size and just really kind of heal those niggly like body image issues that people struggle with outside of the food things. Doors are open until the 28th of February. I'm excited to get started with a nice new group. Yeah, that's awesome. I love group work. I just think it's, you know, we always talk on this podcast about community and how important it is to be um, immersing yourself among other people who feel the same way, who are trying to, you know, do the same work as you. So um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, if you want to find out more about those programs, you can connect with us in the show notes um, through our details there. Awesome. All right, let's move on to this week's show. We are excited for this episode today because we are talking about body grief Um, and we think it really kind of ties in with something we talked about a couple of episodes ago about letting go of this idea of what we thought was possible for us in terms of body size and um, weight and all that kind of stuff and letting go of this uh, idea of perfection and fitting into what society believes is the right way to have a body yeah and I think this topic of body grief is hopefully going to resonate with a lot of people and it's really interesting too because like we are we are naming it as body grief but I I think um I think certainly when I first started doing this work I think I felt a lot of grief but um no one had named it as like no one had really pointed that out to me that we can experience grief around letting go of dieting and letting go of the dreams and hopes that we had for our body and thus our life and I certainly see that when I'm working with clients that when they are when they are describing what they're feeling and I name it you know offer up this idea that maybe what they're experiencing is grief it's like something lands and it's like yes naming it is really really helpful and it kind of gives us this permission and and I could say this about a lot of things particularly probably when my therapist points it out and I'm like <laughs> yes if that is a thing I suddenly feel very validated and it kind of gives you permission to sink deeper into um 
feeling the way that you do and knowing that it's okay and that other people do and and it's natural and normal and it is a it is a a, a process to move through so um if anybody hasn't identified with this idea of feeling grief around um letting go letting go of dieting letting go of the extreme weight or body um be assured it is a thing and we're going to talk through it today yeah definitely I think it is really powerful you're right it's it's it changes everything when you can name something and I think because we are you know we're all familiar with grief in terms of whether we've experienced it or not in terms of losing someone but that's how we talk about it we talk about grief and grieving Mm -hmm. we don't talk about it in any other context other than than losing someone and I think it actually can be applied to so much more. Um, I think any kind of loss or loss of an idea of something, you could tie this easily and you can recognize that this, the, the, the different stages that we're going to talk about in a minute um, show up. And it, it does help understand, you know, it's not, it's not always about losing something. It can be, you know, losing a person sort of as in they're passing yeah. away. It, it really can be about losing someone as in like a friendship or, you know, or a um, relationship, a relationship. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, two people actually that I've been speaking to recently who have, um, ended relationships, um, like intimate relationships fairly recently, and they were both identifying. And again, they didn't name it as grief, but what they were feeling was, um, a sense of sadness and anger and frustration and all the feelings that we have with grief. And both of them said, I, like literally the words were, but this is stupid. I shouldn't feel this way because I'm, 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 you know, it never was that way anyway. Like we, we never in the end were happy. We never, we didn't actually have the relationship that, you know, that I wanted anyway. So, so why am I kind of feeling the sadness when, it, when it was so, you know, destructive or, you know, whatever it was. And what I felt from them was that they were grieving not what they actually had, not the reality of what they what they actually let go of. What they were grieving was the idea and the hope of what it could have been and what they wanted it to be. And I don't think they really realized that you can grieve something that you've never actually had before. And when we talk about this as it relates to bodies, what I see is um a grief around folks who are again letting go of maybe the uh, the the specific weight or size or body goal that they never even achieved never even got close to it but there was always still that hope and desire um around it and then there's folks who have actually had that body even if it's just in their teens right that yeah. body that weight that that um meeting of that societal expectation um, getting closer or meeting that beauty ideal and often I think it's really probably harder for folks who have had that lived experience and then recover into a bigger body that aren't that that um, isn't so accepted um, socially does that make sense it makes total sense and I think you know, when you talk about like the hopes and stuff, it's also like the intention, the intention, whether you're talking about, you know, body size or a relationship, the intention was there for them to get what they wanted or what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, And often like some of that, um, 
kind of the idea of what you could have comes from others, right? Because there are others telling you that that is possible, mm-hmm. you know, again, for whatever it might be. But in this case, obviously, we're talking about body size and, and, and weight. Um, and if you've got a doctor repeatedly telling you that you are, you can do it, it's just you're not trying hard enough, or you're not trying the right things, um, that can keep that kind of idea alive in your mind. And you start to, there's almost like gaslighting, isn't it? You sort of start thinking, mm-hmm. oh gosh, like, you know, because nobody is saying to you, well, actually, you know, it's, it's okay. It's like, it, you know, until we come along, obviously, but when people are not actually saying it's not, it's not something that you need to even pursue, let alone worry about whether it's possible or not, because people are just constantly perpetuating this idea you know, that, mm-hmm. that you can either get back there or get to a place that you, you dreamed of, um, to suit their own agenda. Standards. Yeah. Their own agenda, their own needs, their own, you know, and here's the thing when I thought about when you were saying there about a doctor telling you, here's, here's also what I think is it's not just about the body or the weight, right? So if you have a doctor that's telling you lose weight, do this, do that, it's not actually about achieving a number or a body. It's about the the um assumed guarantee of health that yeah. comes with it, right? And and similarly, so that's in in a kind of through a medical lens and through a health lens, but also you could say the same about career relationships it's the assumed things that are going to come along with that body and that weight we're not we're not just talking about bodies and weight here it's about what we think that represents and the kind of life that we're going to get once we get it and 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 I think the the continual mouse wheel of trying all these different diets and this pursuit of weight in the hope of getting all these things is actually what stops us getting all these things, right? The more we're wedded to the belief that all of these things, promotion at work, finding, you know, a life partner, all these things, if all those rest on our body or weight becoming a certain size, then we're going to be in this like pressing pause phase on our life, for a really long time, whereas if we can actually put that to the side and pursue these things directly, and I often have my clients at the beginning when we start working together, have them write down what is it you what is it you are wanting with the weight loss. No one wants weight loss in a vacuum. It's because it's what mm. it gets us. What do you think it gets you? And can you pursue those things directly as opposed to via the bus stop of shrinking your body? Yeah, definitely. I really agree with what you're saying there about putting things on pause, though, because and I recognize that from my own history, you know, things were on the back burner, things I still have not done because it just it passed life passes you by. And this is what angers me so much about like diet culture and how we're so we're so bought into this idea and it's everything does go on hold. And we do have this this very strong, very what feels very real idea that we are going to somehow just be able to show up differently in our lives. And I think some of that comes from the confidence we think we're going to gain. Like if we would just be more confident in a, in a smaller body that we would just walk around our lives, just wearing whatever we want and, you know, showing up however we want. And actually in reality, it's not, that's not actually true because, and anyone who has, has, who's achieved it will be able to identify with that because it, 
you still have the same fears about judgments of what other people are making of you. And even if you lose weight, you're wondering whether you've lost enough weight or, mm-hmm. you know, am I thin enough for this or thin enough for that? And actually it just puts another layer on, but then you've got the added stress um, of thinking, well, now I've got to either keep it off or keep going, uh, mm-hmm. you know, wherever you are. Yeah. And it's just a constant stress and a constant pressure um, and you can't relax in, mm. in it's, it is very stressful on your body and your mind. Um, mm. And I, and I'm conscious we're kind of like delving into like, you know, diets don't work kind of area, but it's all linked. And yeah. this process of grief is really linked to, um, you know, all of it. I mean, even, I think you go through a lot of these stages, even when you're still in diet culture, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not just something that you go through when you start stepping away from it and you start, you know, pursuing yeah. an anti-diet path. It's, it's, this is just, this is just how it kind of goes around and round. Yeah. I mean, do you want to go into the stages? For yeah, people I do. I do, because I think exactly what you said, like these, these five stages aren't just reserved for once you kind of commit to the non-diet approach. They do exist within diet culture too. And they're not linear. And we can experience any one of them anytime. I think it's just this like fluid thing so to know what they are and to recognize them um could be really helpful um getting back to what we said in the beginning like naming um how we feel so yeah let's go through them um first one is denial yeah what do you have to say about denial well denial I think you know it really kind of is the part of that that bit where you're just you're not really believing that your body couldn't be smaller that it couldn't be, you know, even naturally so without even trying, perhaps, that, you know, we we look for evidence that we have been a certain size, like we were talking about before, um, evidence that we could be a certain size, and also evidence in others. And when mm-hmm. others are dieting and losing weight, even if it's temporary, which usually it is, because going back to our statistics, you know, most people, 95% of people are going to gain that weight back. But even if they keep it off for like six months, you can quite often see that as evidence that mm-hmm. it, it works, mm-hmm. um, evidence that it's possible and it can be really hard to move out of this stage of denial. Um, and I think this can be a really big sticking point for people when they first come to this work because they quite often think that if they just eat intuitively in line with what their body's, you know, hunger and fullness cues, that they will eat less somehow because they're judging what they eat you know, mm-hmm. believing that they eat too much, mm-hmm. um, believing that they eat in a reactionary way, like emotional eating or binge eating. Mm-hmm. And the thought that that would, if that stops, it's like, I have these conversations with my clients all the time. You know, if I'm not binging, why am I not getting thinner? You know, that's what they, they sort of think. If I stop binge, they think it's the binging that's keeping them, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of bouncing around the same weight or, you know, gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And actually it's, it's not, there's so much more to it than that. And um, this is when people fall into the trap of the hunger and fullness diet, because they just think like, if I could just eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full, it'll just, this whole kind of food in, you know, calories in calories out. That's what they'll, they'll sort of fall into that trap. Yeah. And that's where it just doesn't, you know, I mean, what about you? What, what's your experience with this stage? Yeah, I think um, with denial, it's, it well let I'm gonna sort of approach it from a how do we if we are experiencing denial what can we do to try and help ourselves move through that and what I keep coming back to um 
and particularly when I, I would say when in my early days of dieting, when I would, when I was, let's say, flirting with the non-diet approach and I was kind of believed in my, my gut that actually this is what I needed to do. And I think that's when it comes to like, it's funny because we talk about intuitive eating, right? Getting in touch with the sensations of, in your body, getting in touch with like your, that that kind of gut feeling, right? Trusting your own internal wisdom. Mm. I actually think a lot of people in their gut know this work is actually what they really need to be doing, the healing work. But it's our brains that tell us that we know actually we need to be doing the fixing work, which is the shrinking and the dieting. And it's this conflict between head and heart. Um, I definitely had that. I I knew the, my internal wisdom said, this is what you need to do. You need to heal from all of this kind of crap. You can't live your life this way forever. But my head was saying, no, no, you just haven't found the right diet, like keep going kind of thing. <laughs> and my head would rule when I would see other people. And it it might be people that I knew, but it might be like celebrities who mm-hmm. have lost a lot of weight. And then it's like, it's like your brain goes to, but there's more evidence that it's possible. There's more evidence that um, there could be a way that you just haven't found yet that makes it possible. Um, so clients will say, you know, it, this certain protocol has worked and you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, worked for me in the past. And then that's when we need to reassess what, what worked means, because if it's worked in the past, and maybe several times in the past, it's obviously not sustainable. So what I keep coming back to is like, what's your own lived experience? What what does your own um, life journey tell you around this kind of stuff? Um, and what does the science say as well? So when you get, when your head gets into that place of like, I don't want to believe it, um, I would say double down on reading things like health at every size, yeah. anti-diet, like all that kind of stuff. And weight um, set point theory stuff. And weight well. set point theory, which we've still to cover um, oh. and, and get back to often I will have clients like really identify with their why in the beginning when they feel when they feel enthusiastic about opting into this work that's a good time to write down your why write down a sort of critical appraisal of your life experience with your body and dieting and that's a really good kind of document to come back to it could be written it could be voice it could be a drawing whatever it is come back to that why um when you're in that kind of place of denial but I think yeah, I think that denial is like the conflict between heart and 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 gut and and our brains, our minds. Yeah, and I think you know, just going going back to what you were saying there about um, you know your lived experience. I quite often will get you know clients to go back and and really list out and 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 sit and think about what does what does it take for you to get there? Even if you've never got there, what did it take for you to try? Mm-hmm. You know, cause there's a reason why we get to this point where we've just had enough because it is exhausting and it takes a lot from us physically, mentally, um, financially, it takes mm-hmm. so much from our lives. And then I ask, ask them to think about what it takes for them to stay there. Mm-hmm. Because it isn't just about getting there. Yeah. It you there's so much we don't talk about in terms of what it would take for you to control, keep your body held at a, at a lower weight than it wants to be. Yeah, the co- the costs are high to fight mm. biology. Yeah, denials are 
a tricky one. Yeah. I'm sort of trying to think whether there's anything we haven't covered in that, but I guess, you know, this is something that will come up again and again, isn't it? It is. And there's five. So let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> let's move on to anger. What's <laughs> well, well, yeah. And, and, and actually what you were just saying there, um, maybe follows on to anger. I think the anger for me shows up in a different way, probably now, because, um, I, my anger really kind of comes up around the time, the money, the years of the things, the things I didn't do. I mean, I can't tell you like all the, the things I didn't go for, the places I didn't, didn't show up in and the moments that I missed because I was so worried about, you know, being like in situations where you sort of feel like, oh God, you know, I'll I'll go to that thing, but I'm going to just, I'm only going to eat this or I'm only going to do that. That's the stuff that I felt angry about, that I wasn't present in the moment. I was really fixated on what was going to happen and actually didn't do anything. It didn't change anything. My body was still the same. It doesn't, do you know what I mean? Like what a waste of time. And I think the other part, and this is a lot that comes up with my clients that, that the anger part for me is the anger at the thought of the fact that I could potentially have made my body larger by dieting does that make sense and put it under so much strain Mm -hmm. and the only way I could ever get through that was to heal my own fat phobia and to work on that all the time Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where I see clients get stuck as well they once they realize that actually they've almost been teaching their bodies to kind of gain some safety weight to protect them Mm -hmm. you know that's when you have to start doing the work on the fat phobia and, and what it means to be in a you know larger body than than for whatever that means for you, like whatever you're, you know, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, my anger, I would say around this stuff is with the kind of, with with capitalism and consumerism mm. and patriarchy, I guess, all those kind of um, systems and how we are brainwashed, conditioned, taught, trained, to believe we're not good enough our bodies aren't good enough um the way that our food looks isn't good enough um that is ingrained into us so that we will we will so heavily buy into this message that we will spend the rest of our lives trying to fix it and we will buy tons of shit we don't need and we will you know put our attention on things that doesn't need our attention and it's the you talked earlier about you know the costs the opportunity costs so it's not just the costs of like you know as you say like not being present and financial but the the costs of what could have been right um or what could be individually like could 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 I have been like an Olympic swimmer if I'd dared wear the swimming costume and like get in the pool right um but also collectively particularly particularly as women what like where could we be collectively if we put all that time and energy that we spend on fixing ourselves if we realized that there was nothing to fix and believe in ourselves and believe in each other and lift each other up rather than tearing each other down, um, we could be in a really different place. That's what frustrates me is how we're sold solutions to a problem that doesn't exist. It's a problem that is invented so that we stay 
fixated on this problem that isn't a problem. That's the part that angers me. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting really angry. Yeah, this this was me. You know, if, you know, I think in season one there was an episode we were talking about, it and I was saying that I felt really angry because of that stuff because of my daughter because I'm yeah. I can just I'm just watching her grow up into this you know, this, this narrative that I want to help change, but I know that we're not there yet. And I know there's so much more work to do and, you know, things do shift slowly, but it's not quick enough. And she's, she's still going to experience a lot of the stuff that I would have experienced um, in the outside world, not necessarily in our household, obviously. Um, and it, and it's horrible. It's so, it just does anger you. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to ask you was, you know, that stuff you you can be angry about now that you know it. But before you knew that stuff, where would anger show up for you when you were maybe still stuck in dieting or when you were coming, just coming out of it? Or do you sort of not remember feeling the anger? I, I remember feeling angry at myself because like tip, typical cliched story, just feeling like I don't have any willpower. I like, which is so frustrating. Like I've, I think I've maybe mentioned this on the podcast before, but um. I remember my sister saying to me, um, it's so weird that you can't get your shit together around food and your body because you have your shit together everywhere else. Like you are really succeeding in all these, like succeeding, like whatever that means in all these other areas, like you're so committed and determined. And if you put your mind to something, you will do it. You will get there. But this thing, this thing with food and body, it just slips away. And, and I believe that, like, I believed it was a personal inherent flaw and failing of me. And I found that really, like, I was really angry at that because I wasn't someone who, if I put my mind to something, I I didn't really achieve, right? I, Mm. I am a doer. I am a achiever. Um, probably overachiever in in a lot of places historically and this was the one thing that I couldn't and I was really really angry about it and hence why I committed so much time and energy to it but in your words it was never mine in the first place it was never for me in the first and interestingly I just want to ask you know and this is I mean you don't have to answer but I to me now with you know my sort of knowing what I know do you think that was a misconception that you had your shit together in other areas? Because actually dieting is the coping mechanism. Dieting is the thing that we're trying to control because actually we're not as happy as it looks. And what success looks like to other people, I've so many people to say to me over the years, oh, like, you know, you've got this and you've got that job. And I was miserable with that yeah. and that job and this and that and the other. They were, I didn't know who I was. Yeah. Does that resonate? Totally, totally because... Bear in mind, I'm a perfectionist in recovery. And what perfectionists do is even if they don't attain the things, the achievements, the successes, they make it look like they do. Because, and what it comes down to isn't necessarily ego, I don't think. It's um, fear and not having the ability to be vulnerable. And I have never had that for a long time. It's something I've worked really, really hard on in therapy I've talked about it in this podcast, like showing up on a podcast and saying, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. And sometimes I have a lot of self-doubt about, you know, not being kind of quote unquote expert enough around this stuff. That That is a huge stride for me. Historically, I would just 
double down on making it look like I knew it all and I I you know and I, and I was the best at whatever um that's what perfectionists do because it's a protective mechanism for fear of getting hurt for fear of um pain so yeah I didn't have my shit together in all those places <laughs> that's what I mean um, it's just like what people think what people think on the outside is almost what you let them see isn't it yeah. like I would let people sort of believe and I let myself believe that I was happy in those you know that job and all this kind of stuff because I felt like I should be in air quotes I mm. should be happy with that because who wouldn't yeah. be happy with that well actually I wasn't happy with that because it wasn't very much me yeah um okay so I want to just before we um yeah, before we leave anger I, I I'm trying to as much as we're exploring each mm. of one of these topics I would love to offer up a kind of okay so if we're feeling the denial what can we do if we're feeling the anger what can we do I would say if you are feeling the anger, A, allow yourself to actually feel the anger. And I would say this for all of them, right? Don't don't believe that you should not be feeling it and that it's wrong to feel it. Feel your feelings, sit with it, right? Journal about it, talk to a friend about it, like really name it and and feel it. The other thing I would say is um, in our last episode, we spoke to Lai about how she used her anger um, through in her writing and in her mm. activism. So I know some of my clients, when they get angry at like their favorite clothing store, not carrying certain sizes right to them. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like confrontational um, in-person discussions. If you don't feel strong enough uh, to do that, it can be, you know, writing to a politician. It could be writing to a clothing store. Like you can be an activist um, from your computer, from your phone, right? Um, Find a channel to kind of um, put that into, put that energy into. And the other part I want to say too, if the anger is about like what you said, anger of all the times you weren't present during events, all the times that you, you know, spent money somewhere that that could have been better spent elsewhere. I really want to offer up, um, the power of forgiveness here. I think mm. forgiveness um, is really helpful. You can you only do the best with what you've got at the time, and once you know better, you do better. So um, I think I think we need to in this part of um, anger is really forgive ourselves for our past. Yeah, and maybe you know channel your energy like I do now. I am you know, even more present with my children now to not to make up for anything necessarily, but just to, just to capture it from now. I don't need to stick my, you know, my head in the, you know, back into how it was. Yes. There was a few things that I've missed and there are, there was some stuff that I could look back on and be cross that I um, wasn't present with it, but I can be present now. Mm -hmm. And I, I can really enjoy those moments now and really get that fulfillment that I missed out on before yeah. you're know, still young there's still time it's, it's you know it's with your friends whether it's with your family or husbands what you know wives girlfriends whatever whatever you feel that you've missed out on there is time to jump back into that you can yeah. be more present with your family and yeah. your job or whatever you can go for those promotions do the things that you stopped you know if that's what where your anger is coming from what you didn't do double down on doing it yeah enjoying it yeah. Yeah, and we can be grateful for that, right? That yeah. this work really gives us that awareness and that opportunity to do that. 
all right so we've done denial we've done anger and um, next one is bargaining um I like this one a lot because I I feel like I um am the person that my clients come to when they want to bargain when they are trying to when they're grappling with this and they're they're trying mm-hmm. to kind of so so they come to me with the okay so I'm kind of like on one hand bought into this idea that my lived experience tells me you know dieting is destructive for me and it compromises my mental health like blah 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 but and then there's all these kind of like it's the resistance right and I, I think this is one of the very first things I say in my group program this will come up right so it's not a case of might it resistance to this will come up so let's just name it and be prepared for it now um Mm. and um and and the pushback I I get so much pushback from clients this is part of the process so they'll come to a session and be like okay I get all that and I understand that but and often the one that I see probably the most is um but I find it hard to be in this body because I can't do the things that I used to be able to do the kind of practical logistical things like I can't paint my toenails anymore or I find it harder to tie my shoelaces or I'm finding it harder to buy clothes and and when we so this is what I said at the very beginning about when we recover into a bigger body the kind of logistical and practical challenges that come up can really get us into that place of bargaining and be like okay so no I understand like dieting's the worst diet culture's the worst I don't want to buy into that but is there a way that I can shrink my body so that I don't have to deal with these th- these things that's the kind of bargaining part that that um I see it's like those last straws of like but this is all it's, it's almost like it's almost like I'm not doing it for vanity I, it's not that I want mm. a smaller body for vanity or necessarily for quote unquote health. It's because of the obstacles that I'm facing in this body. And that's really challenging. And there's often no answer to that. Right. There's there's. Yeah, I chat through some, you know, practical things with clients to try and make these things easier. You know, shopping online op- opens more doors. Um, You know, OK, maybe you can't reach your toenails, but you could go to a salon and get it done if you have the means to do that right mm-hmm. um there are other ways but there's still that real uh grief that real sadness and disappointment that some things that used to be possible just aren't anymore and sometimes it's hard to separate them with like um you know age as well like as we grow older sometimes not always but sometimes our, our mobility changes especially if we've had like a health condition or an injury or something like that and I see this a lot in with yoga students as well right there's grief of like I used to be able to do this pose I and I, I felt that I I'm really honest that sometimes when I get on my yoga mat it's like uh, this this position used to be easier for me Mm. Um, I never used to have to contend with this barrier that is now my stomach um, in order to move in this particular way and that there is sadness that comes with that and there is uh, grief and disappointment and all those feelings Um, but again getting back to like what we do about it um, (laughs) there's nothing for me and I'm speaking personally on the yoga mat there's nothing to do other than feel it 
and know that it sucks and I you know I've heard people mm. use this saying before sometimes just sitting in the suck yeah and being like yeah I I can find a different way to do this but it is sad and annoying and disappointing that I can't move in a way that I used to be able to move but again I just come back to the well am I am I going to go through the turmoil and the misery of dieting just so that I can step my foot forward between my hands as opposed to the side of my hands in this yoga pose no no, I'm yeah. not. So I'm just going to feel it and do the best I can from that point. That's really interesting. And I always come back to when I, you know, talk to clients about this, I always bring them back to how accepting we are of other things, because, you know, what we, what we, when we sit with the, you're sitting in that kind of bargaining, you know, we're sitting with the feelings that that brings up in this, in this bargaining phase where you're just a bit annoyed about stuff like that. It's not as easy. It's not as accessible. It's whatever it might be. Um, you know, and actually think about how accepting we are of other things that annoy us. Because like as what? you know, it annoys me very much that I am five. You're gonna see your height. I, I knew am. you were gonna see your height. Because it drives me nuts. <laughs> it absolutely drives me nuts. I walk around this house and I say to my husband, look at you, just reaching for things, just just like that, just like that. You don't have to get a stool, you don't have to get a chair. And then also still finding that that's not making me tall enough to do what I need to do. I find it incredibly frustrating. Um, and I often think about like and people are gonna think I'm crazy, but honestly to be short it's literally just so annoying um and I'm always asking people to get me stuff and in shops I have actually climbed on units to get stuff before because I just hate asking because <laughs> it feels constant but there is no part of me that has any kind of blame you know intention to try and blame myself but mm-hmm. it's not something I've done um it's not so, it's just I, I accept it um albeit it frustrates me um it's a bit like shoe size we Mm -hmm. accept it this is my shoe size you know and and that's the end of it when it comes to weight we very much sort of think it because we are told we are told this is your doing this is something that you have done to yourself you are to blame and actually you know we're still getting even if we're coming out of that stuff we're still getting those messages around us especially this time you know january um that we are not haven't tried hard enough and we're, we're pushing through that, knowing that that's not true. Um, but it can be very hard to sort of keep that going. And this is what I would, I invite my clients to explore weight set point theory again and, mm-hmm. and go through some of that and really focus on healing and working on like body image and inner critic stuff and, and, the, and that kind of stuff. So when we're blaming ourselves, yeah, yeah, you know, that helps us to kind of undo that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, just knowing the bargaining is part of the process, like that, that resistance, that um, Mm. pushback of the final pieces of this acceptance journey that are just the hardest to grapple with, the hardest to accept. That's when we start this bargaining process. Um, All right. Let's, it kind of segues really nicely into depression. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether we want to call it depression or, or sadness. sadness. Yeah. yeah. That, that just real sitting in the sack, like it's, this is just, this is really disappointing. This is really sad. Um, I think this is such an important piece. Like we're, we're so conditioned, aren't we, to try and like fix things and find a solution to it. Wh- whether, you know, in this case, I'm not suggesting like 
fixing our bodies because there's nothing to fix but like fixing our mindset around it mm-hmm. like um trying to like um positively think our way out of it or find a strategy like a practical st- strategy but honestly sometimes it's just about feeling it feeling the sadness naming it talking about it um I think that's the easiest way not the easiest but the only probably way to move through it um and often in sessions I find myself you know as a coach it's 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 hard to have another human being sat in front of you in pain struggling and our human condition is to want to fix and as a coach Yes, we can come up with um, different ways to reframe and think things and tools and skills and strategies, but also we just create the space for us to sit in that place of sadness and disappointment and share in that feeling of, yeah, this is how it is. And this feels feels really shit. I agree with you. Um, And it's sad we're made to feel that way, but it's not our fault. This is how we're made to feel. This is the structures at play that we live within that make us feel this way. And yeah, just holding that space for it. It's so healing, I think. Yeah, I always refer to it as very healing because um, I think this is the sort of these stages that people work through that it's quite often when people will uh, have tears and cry. Mm -hmm. And I always remind my clients that that's okay. That's what those sessions are for. And, you know, crying is healing, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever it's about. It, it is healing. It's your body's way of um, releasing that emotion and helping your body to move through it. You know, mm-hmm. if you try not to cry about something or you try not to be feeling sad, because I think also it kind of stems back to what we associate with, um, you know, feeling sad like I think quite often as children we're told to not don't cry it's okay you'll be fine that kind of stuff and actually we're not really taught that it's it's all right that you feel sad about that it's understandable and when you hold that space and you validate that feeling you're not changing it but you're allowing that person to work through it and I think that's much for me much more helpful yeah someone saying well you know look on the bright you know look on the bright side it could be worse that kind of thing like I hate it when people sort of say oh I know people have it worse or I know this that's not the point no you are your feelings are always valid um your experiences are always valid um it's never about that's when you're getting into comparing yourself and that's never ever going to be helpful for anyone anyone in the worst situation than you perceive yourself to be it's not actually going to help them by you not being sad about yours in fact it's just you've got to sort of stay in your own lane and and almost work for your own healing Mm. um I think that's probably it that is probably the most beneficial thing we could have I think that we could advise people to do if they're sitting in that is, is to just feel it, just feel it and sit through yeah. it. There's no magic fix there. Give themselves permission, give yourself permission to sit in that sadness because you're right. Not only do people, other people say to us, oh, but, you know, look on the bright side, X, Y, Z. We also tell ourselves, I shouldn't be feeling sad because, mm. right? I've still got my health. I've still, you know, why why should I be feeling sad? You know, I've, you know, I've still got all these things to be grateful for. Yes, there are really big, horrible, sad things going on in the world. And often we think our first world problems um, 
we shouldn't feel sad about but um we are allowed to feel sad about them and 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 I you know speak personally on this um but I think it is a a bigger cultural problem that we're not actually taught how to sit with those sad feelings we're not um validated in those sad feelings I certainly grew up in a household where those sad feelings were brushed under the carpet and not talked about. Mm. Um, it was kind of like turn your back on them and look toward the positive and always try and pull yourself out of it. And I think that just came from the fact that my parents weren't comfortable with um, being with and discuss- discussing kind of negative emotions or, or sad emotions. Um, so we don't have that skill. We don't have that that resilience. We don't have that ability to be able to sit with them um so yeah I think as a as a parent like I you know I'm hearing you say like you know with your daughter if she like when she slipped up on the ice the other day you were saying on an Instagram live like it's you know rather than being like get up brush yourself off you'll be fine like to just say yeah that must have hurt you know yeah she came came back into the house and sat down for a bit until she sort of felt better because um she yeah she needed that space like it was it was horrible she hurt herself and and she was also embarrassed because she we live opposite school so um she felt that no one did see her but she felt that everyone had seen her yeah and in her mind that was a big deal and I knew yeah. that so yeah At I, that I, age, I, we've yeah. talked about this a lot I hold a lot of space for my children to actually feel their emotions and name it and feel the sadness feel the anger whatever it might be because mm-hmm. I don't I don't want them growing up thinking that it's not okay to 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 feel stuff because yeah. you can't shut it down All right. So moving on to the last um, of the five is acceptance, which I guess is the place that we're all trying to strive towards. And and I said at the very beginning of this podcast, like this is not a linear journey. It's not like you can say, okay, I'm past the denial phase. I'm now into anger. And then once you finally get to acceptance, this is a place that you will stay in. It's not a destination. It is a state of being that is always available to us, but we will get kind of dragged out of that place, um, back into denial, back into anger, back into bargaining, back into depression. But um, if we can think of acceptance rather than this kind of place that we get to and stay there, because I think that sets us up for frustration and disappointment and failure if we move out of that place accepting that we probably will move out of that place but having the skills and the tools to know how to kind of try to shift ourselves back towards a place of acceptance and know that that's um hopefully always available to us so it's a state of being rather than a destination but um I guess that is the place that we are um all trying to head toward Yeah, definitely. I think it's worth saying, though, that, you know, like you just said, it's not a destination. Also, like all of these stages can really crop up at any time. You're right in what you're saying. You don't don't move through them in this like linear fashion. Your first, you know, experience of any of this could be anger, could Mm -hmm. be the bargaining side. It could be it could be any place like. um, But yeah. And you can be in a place of acceptance and be sort of sitting there and then something can really trigger you back into mm-hmm. one of the other stages and mm-hmm. it could be something as simple as you know your your best friend goes on some sort of mad project fix it and and has some success with it and that can make you feel back into the anger space or you or you can bounce in and out of these yeah. definitely with any situation exactly and I think you can experience two at the one time I think I think you can experience and I want to give you an example um you can experience acceptance and 
be experiencing anger at the same time, right? Yeah. Um, I, I I often find when we when I speak to clients about weight set point theory, which we're going to do a episode on, it's the kind of thing because it's so powerful to learn about weight set point theory and I often find that there's two reactions to weight set point theory one is either um relief of like oh god right so my body actually is doing what it's meant to do that this isn't a failure on my part right or kind of resistance and rejection of like no I don't believe it I I I know that there is a thin person inside me just bursting to get out right um and I certainly and I think I think also you can experience both of them too it's like these these states can fluctuate so quickly um but I remember feeling that complete relief when I when I learned about set point theory I was so validated by it reading health at every size was just like reading a manuscript of my own life experience right um so that was the acceptance part but also at the same time I did have these feelings of bargaining kind of like yes okay I get it I agree with it this is what's happening but yet I'm finding it harder to touch my toes so there's still got to be a way of where I can be thinner (laughs) you know yeah or kind of accepting the idea of weight set point theory but thinking oh well okay then my body's obviously like overinflated of where it should feel just got mm-hmm. back down I just mm-hmm. get the nail this thing called intuitive eating yeah I'll get back in touch with my you know body I won't be binging anymore I won't be you know it goes back to what we were saying in the beginning we won't be doing all of those things so naturally my body will find its weight set point which has got to be lower than where I am now yeah you know and a lot of that is kind of wrapped up in our own sort of personal fat phobia and this this fear of weight gain that we're still holding on to and that's why I think it's so important to do that work. I know we talk about this all the time, but you can't do one part. For me, you can't just go into the intuitive eating and kind of look only at that in isolation. You have to have all the pieces of the puzzle because if you don't, it will just keep tripping you up. And turn into another diet. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's so easy to turn it into another diet. Yeah. 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 Mm, Interesting stuff. It is interesting stuff. And I've loved being able to break down all these, hopefully these different feelings, these different experiences that maybe some of our listeners have um, felt themselves, but maybe never had language or, um, you know, validation around it, heard anybody else speaking about this kind of stuff. So I would love to hear from our listeners if there's any other experiences of grief that we haven't named and we haven't talked about. Let us know what your experiences are and we can maybe um, speak about them a bit more um, in future episodes. Yeah, definitely. That would be really useful. It's always good to know what people are thinking. And, you know, likewise, drop us a few words on the review because we'd love to know what you think about the show and whether these uh, episodes are, you know, landing with you and you're connecting with them in the way that we hope and uh yeah come find us on instagram we have our podcast handle the anti-diet club podcast and all our details how to contact us are in the show notes awesome great well i'll see you next time yeah see you then